Follow Podcast, Episode 9, Why the Bible. After listening to last week's episode, I asked Jeremy Zachary what he thought a good title would be for this week's episode. He suggested, Why the Bible? At first, I hesitated, because this is a huge topic. But then I figured it might not be a bad idea to at least begin and broach this topic at this time, and then we could have follow-up episodes as questions come up or as they seem appropriate that handle some of the issues concerning the topic, why the Bible? So first let me say the simplest answer to the question, why the Bible, is that the Bible is the Word of God. Now the Bible claims to be the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, we read the words of the Apostle Paul, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, in some discussion that perhaps might not be well received by some in that church, he says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So we see that the Apostle Paul considered that these things that were being written were from God. Let's look at further clarification on this in Second Peter chapter 1. This is another apostle. It's not just Paul that thinks this, but Peter also. He writes his epistles to Christians. You can see that in the first verse he says of Second Peter chapter 1, he says to those who have obtained a faith equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he mentions his purpose in verse 13, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Every evidence we have from the physical world is that when we die, we're dead, we cease to exist, we don't continue any further. So get everything you can out of this life because it's short and when you're dead, you're dead. The Bible over and over again makes the point that when we die, it's not the end. That we have the promise of eternal life. And Jesus Christ makes the point over and over again that 
he's gone to prepare a place for us. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And we want to be in the place that's been prepared for us by God. Because the other place is not pleasant at all. I made this point in the last episode also. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we continue to live after this life, and there are two possible outcomes for us. A place where God is prepared and another place. The other place is not pleasant at all. So we need to make preparations to be in that place. We need to find out what God has instructed us to do so that we can gain entry into that place, that very pleasant place that God has prepared for us. Because the alternative is unthinkably horrible. More about that later, but let's move on in our discussion of Second Peter chapter 1. So Peter understood that he was going to be uh, moving on, <laughs> that is he put it, after my departure. So after he departs, he's not going to be able to be writing any more things to them. So he's writing some things to remind them. Uh, he mentions later in this book that he, he's writing these things to spur them on, to encourage them. And I'm just going to read Second Peter 1 verses 16 to the end, and then I'll give you some comments on this. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Peter also makes the point that this is from God. And it's interesting that he brings it up here. Remember the purpose of his letter to them. He wants to encourage them. He wants to spur them on. So in the very first thing he does is tackle this issue that this is the instruction that is from God. So this was an issue even then. He says, we're not following, verse 16, we're not following cleverly devised myths. There is a thinking in popular thought that there are various myths that we're accustomed to, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and God. And God is one of these mythical things that's just made up. We see here that the Apostle Peter makes a differentiation between any sort of cleverly devised myths, which are from man, and what they've been told from God. So it was an issue even back then. So then he goes on to mention a specific incident. Now, he had been with Jesus from the beginning, been with Jesus for three years. So he could have said here just a general thing, and I was with Jesus for three years. I know that this is all real because I saw it. But instead of doing that, to make a very compelling testimony, he calls out a specific instance. 
So the Apostle Peter makes a specific reference to a specific incident that happened that we see recorded in Matthew 17. It's called the Transfiguration by many. And Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. That's Matthew 17 verses 1 and 2. And behold, verse 3, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter it's an interesting that this is not like a human recording of the thing because Peter suggests something that's completely ridiculous. He doesn't know what to do, but he sees this image of the glorified Jesus speaking with him, Elijah and Moses, and he says, well, let's just, let's set up some shelters. Let's set up some structures to house you people. And then while he's saying that, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with who, with whom I am well pleased, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. The Apostle Peter records a miraculous incident that he was an eyewitness to. So the Apostle Peter makes the point that he was an eyewitness to things that actually happened that were from God. So someone might say to me then, at this point, Okay, the Bible says of itself, it's from God. Not exactly a convincing proof. Anyone could get up and say, well, I am from God. How are you going to prove it or disprove it? How do we deal with that objection to someone who does not wish to accept that the Bible is from God? So the Bible was written over a period of time of over 2,000 years by different writers. And there's a consistent line of thought that goes through all these 66 books of the Bible, this line of reasoning, which proves that it's the product of a single mind. This is not something you're going to accept by me telling you. The only way to accept that is to immerse yourself in it and see if this is true. Are these a bunch of disjointed writings from various people over thousands of years? Or is this an exposition of a single mind over a period of a couple of thousand years? The only person who could do the exposition of a single mind over thousands of years is God. And the only way you're going to get that is if you yourself examine it. The trick is then for someone to say, well, this is the word of God and you need to put some effort into understanding it and getting the skeptic to actually do that. But there are external proofs that indicate that the Bible is a reliable source of information. So there are two ways to approach this. One is, it's very easy to see of the historical figures that are mentioned in the New Testament. Let's start with the New Testament. Jesus Christ, an actual historical figure that is mentioned in other secular works. And quite often people point to the writings of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, and he wrote a book called Antiquities of the Jews. In the Antiquities of the Jews, not only does he testify that Jesus Christ exists, but he testifies that he was raised from the dead. So I've heard people come up with the theory that, okay, Jesus Christ was an inspired philosopher, 
and his followers many, many years later added this idea that he was the son of God, and that was proved by him being raised from the dead. We can see that contemporary to the time of Christ, or not long after, it was understood that he was raised from the dead by other sources other than the Bible. Apostle Paul, actual character. These people were actual characters, and the other characters that are referenced in the New Testament, like King Herod, the way King Herod died, that is mentioned in the book of Acts, was also mentioned in the secular history of Josephus. But let's go back even further. Let's talk about the Old Testament for, for a minute. There were writings in the Old Testament that were attributed to, for example, the book of Psalms. Much of it was written by King David. David was the king, right, the chief executive officer of the nation of Israel, and there were certain writings that were attributed to him. Well, if they were not written by him, there would have been people at the time saying, no, 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 that's just fable. That's information about our king that really isn't true. And I give the example of, we have in our history, George Washington, real historical figure. He was the first president of the United States. There's a fable about him when he was a child and he was so honest that he chopped down a cherry tree and his father was like, who chopped down this tree? And he's like, I cannot tell a lie. I did it. And as it turns out, the historians consider that to be an apocryphal fable. That's not true. Not long after the time of George Washington, we have people saying, no, 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 there's no evidence that that actually happened. That's not true. Okay, we have none of that about the fact that there are certain writings that were credited to David, so much of the book of Psalms. Much of the book of Proverbs was written by his son Solomon, a king of the nation of Israel. And this is all accepted and verified by history. Okay, many of the prophets in the Old Testament... First of all, they mention their prophecies when they occurred to them, and they're very specific about, well, this occurred to me during the reign of such and such a king during a certain period of time. And also, uh, many of these exile prophets that were now in other lands also reference that they were part of the court of certain kings, and this is all verified ancient history. In the book of Daniel, for instance, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem and carried off some of the people there and Daniel was amongst them. So Daniel was someone who was in the king's court. So the incidences there are shown to be in a certain historical place and time. Nothing has come about to contradict any of this information. Now it's interesting because as time has gone by, I can remember many, many years ago people saying, well, there's such and such a thing is mentioned in the Old Testament, and there's no archaeological proof of that. Well, as time has gone on, many of these proofs have emerged. So even during the period of time that I've been studying the Bible, things that the skeptics might bring out, yes, but archaeology doesn't support this, now it does. There was often spoken about the discussion of the Hittites in the book of Genesis. And there's no archaeological evidence was said many, many years ago of the, the Hittites being in the land at that time. And actually, as archaeology has expanded and more things are discovered, the evidences that these things are true has come about. So if you're a skeptic, what you need to do 
is establish these things for yourself to your own satisfaction. I've examined them in sufficient depth to be satisfied the veracity of what's written in the Bible. So my understanding is that the Bible is scripture, meaning that the Bible is from God, and there is zero information that I have come across to contradict that. Now, if you believe you've got something, then please, please bring it to me. Come on the show. Email me at james at believeandfollow.org. No spaces, right? It's an email address. Email me at this address. Let's discuss what you consider proofs that the Bible is not the Word of God and we shouldn't pay any attention to it. Because if we find something in the Bible that's false, then that's that. If a judge is trying to assess the veracity of a witness and he finds that that witness has lied, has told him something that's not true, in his mind, that affects the veracity of everything else this witness presents to him. It's the same way with the Bible. You have to establish that it is truth. Jesus says, your word is truth to the Father. So you have to get to a place where you're confident that it's true, despite what people are telling you. There's one other issue I wanted to tackle in this idea of why the Bible. There are other documents out there that we're presented with and saying, well, this is the word of God. We have the Koran. We have the Book of Mormon for two examples. There's a concept that might be helpful to this discussion. The concept is embodied in the word provenance. There's a television program called Antiques Roadshow. I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It's on PBS. They go from city to city and people bring their antique articles. They bring the ancient things that are sitting around their homes and they ask the question, is this item valuable or is it a worthless piece of old junk? And one of the elements that the experts that they have there often consider is the provenance, is the history of this item, the proof of ownership of it. And that's why I mentioned that term concerning the Bible, because people have been studying it for as long as it's been around. So we have thousands of years of study of the Bible. So we have this chain of custody, if you will. We have this provenance that adds veracity to the conclusion that this is the Word of God. This is something that, like I said, you have to investigate to your satisfaction. And once again, if you investigate it, you come up with something and you say, hey, James thinks this is the Word of God. I've got some evidence here that says it's not. Then bring it to me, please. And we'll put it on the show and we'll discuss it. So these other books, the Book of Mormon, the Quran, don't have that same provenance. This idea of multiple sources over many, many years. Provenance of the Bible is not found in these other documents. And I also find things in these other documents that are not true. Now, I extend this invitation to anyone that says to me, yes, but the Book of Mormon is the Word of God and I can prove it to you. Please come and help me out with that. Or someone who says, the Quran, Word of God, I can prove it to you. Please come and let's do that. Let's have that proof. My personal work on this indicates that the Bible is the Word of God and the Quran and the Book of Mormon are not. 
this is an important point because the first thing you have to do if you're going to say, well, okay, if there is word of God out there, let me find out what is and isn't the word of God so that I can be following the right thing. That's a point that Jesus Christ makes. As we discussed in previous episodes, this from God or from man issue. One of the principles we see in the Bible is that once you make a certain choice, that excludes other choices. If you understand that the Bible is the word of God and so speaks to us with authority, then that excludes other authorities that are not in agreement. So you do have to establish for yourself that the Bible is something you should be listened to and that if it's from God, we see the Bible presents God as a creator. God is one that gives instructions and expects us to follow them in order to be pleasing to him. And then if we bring in the element of eternal life, that when we die, we have the option of going to a place that's been prepared for us by someone who knows about eternal life and a place that no preparation has been made. And that Jesus tells us is a place where you don't want to be. Jesus makes the point a number of times. You don't want to be in that other place. You want to figure out how to gain entry into this place that's prepared for you. So you need to pay attention to the Bible. You need to work the Bible into your everyday life so that you can understand what God expects from you and you can be prepared for what's going to happen after your death. Let me take this one step further. You not only need to get yourself to a place where you accept this for yourself, so that you need to understand what the Word of God is, so that you can be pleasing to God, so that you can be prepared for what's going to happen after you die. What God expects from you is for you to be helpful to others to help them see that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. So if you're not working with Jesus, then he considers that you're working against him. If that's the case, then that's reason enough for you not to be permitted entry into this pleasant place that God has prepared for us for after we die. This is very important. The answer to the question, why the Bible, is twofold. One, the Bible is the word of God. Two, remember what God expects from us. He expects us to believe his promise and follow his instructions. Both those things, the promises that God makes and the instructions he has for us, are both contained in the Bible. And the Bible also gives us the information that there's more to us than life here in this world. We need to be prepared for what's going to happen after we die. And the place where that information is, is in the Bible also. That's all for now. Goodbye, and God bless. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Sweeter also than honey